Well, good evening. Hey, let's say a prayer and we'll kind of jump into our lesson tonight. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We're grateful for the day that we have. You've made it. We take joy in it. We're grateful for everyone that's here. We have an earnest desire to know your word and then to do your word. I pray your spirit would work in the lives of everyone here for there are many needs uh, that we have as we come to you. And I, I know that your spirit is faithful to comfort us in our grieving, to heal us in our suffering, and Lord, to strengthen us in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, many of you probably know, but uh, during class, if you want to text your questions to that number, we'll try to answer as many as we can. That number's also on the bottom of your handout. Uh, I don't expect you to, to memorize it, but if you want to text your questions in, that's great because I'd just as soon know what you're thinking and how this lesson is striking you so we can kind of talk about the things that, uh, that strike you in this lesson. We are going to talk about in this series the parables of Jesus. This is a really foundational series in my mind for two reasons. Two reasons I really like to talk about the parables of Jesus. And the, the first reason is because you get the breadth of Jesus' teaching. When you talk about the parables, you're going to see the whole breadth of Jesus' teaching. One of the things I think is really unhealthy is when we take a certain teaching of Jesus, and we magnify it, if you will. It's not that that teaching isn't true. We sort of magnify it out of proportion, and we push some of the other teaching of Jesus into the background. And you don't get a clear picture of Jesus that way. Do you guys know what a caricature is? I presume that you do. You see it a lot in cartoons. Well, as a matter of fact, this is a caricature. All right, three are caricatures, one's real. I'll let you figure out which one's real. No, but caricatures take something like Barack Obama during his presidency, his smile and his ears. And so they kind of make that outsize. And you look at the picture and you recognize who it is, but you realize, wait, that's not actually in proportion. Donald Trump was made for caricature. I mean, the hair alone... The fingers, the, the face, you know. So I, I'm sure the political cartoonists are going to have fun, you know, for the next few years as well. But that's a caricature. It's recognizable, but it's really out of proportion. And that happens a lot with the teachings of Jesus today. People take a piece of Jesus' teaching and they magnify it and push some other things into the background. Studying the parables over the next several weeks, we will see a balanced view. Jesus was very intentional about his teaching and in his parables he covered all that you need to know about his teaching and you see Jesus in a true light. The second reason I like studying the parables is you get Jesus in his own words. You get Jesus in his own words. Jesus really liked teaching in parables. He liked engaging people with stories. He was a master at illuminating things through stories that at first, at least, appeared a little bit cryptic. So that's why I like to see that. I think what you're going to see with Jesus in his own words is he comes out of the box we sometimes want to put him in. When you see the breadth of his teaching and hear what he actually had to say, you're going to realize that Jesus is more radical than we sometimes would like for him to be. As we go through, you'll see this over and over, and we'll talk about it. Jesus is actually more radical. He's more upsetting than we typically want him to be. And sometimes our teaching, we sort of try to get him contained in a box. 
But when we study the parables, it's, you can't get past his own words. Well, let's talk about just the parables in general. First of all, what is a parable? Well, a parable is essentially a story. And let me give you an example of something you don't, probably don't think is a parable, but that's a parable, for example. I'm kind of on my political theme tonight, you'll see. Some of you are looking at that going, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's, that's a picture, if you will, that basically tells a story and you draw on your own, you draw a lot of conclusions from that. You fill in the missing pieces, as it were. Well, parables of Jesus are word pictures. They're stories that paint a picture that do exactly the same thing. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're sad, sometimes they're drama. You'll see a lot of Jesus' parables actually begin with drama, with a, a tense situation. And so they paint these pictures, these verbal pictures, to sort of pull us in. Well, the word parable, is a, it's a Greek word, and it literally means to throw something down alongside. And so a parable is literally a story that sort of gets thrown down alongside reality, and you can begin to make some comparison. All parables, whether they're stories or sayings, some parables are really short. They're just almost sayings, but they all involve an analogy, a comparison, a sort of a lay this story down besides real life and say, what, what am I learning from this comparison? That's what parables are. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short. There are 39 parables, by most counts, in the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books of your New Testament. The Gospels, they're called Gospels because they're trying to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Gospel means. It's just a, a good news. And so these Gospels are basically accounts of Jesus' teaching. They're not histories. They're not exactly biographies, but they're accounts of Jesus. Now, three of these are very much alike, and one is not. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, synoptic, because they're pretty much alike in their approach to Jesus. The gospel of John is very different. For example, if the gospels were instructions on how to put together uh, the lawnmower you just bought, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would open them up and it would say, take part A and put it with part B. They're very straightforward. Gospel of John, you would open it up and it would say, life is like a box of chocolates. You, I mean, it's what? You know, and John unapologetically says, hey, these guys have kind of told you that Jesus' life, I'm going to tell you something else. But the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, contain almost all of the parables. And in fact, over a third of Jesus' teaching in the Synoptic Gospels is in parable form. Over a third of Jesus' teaching is in the form of these stories. That's why it's a great series. Not only do you get the breadth of Jesus' teaching, not only does he get to say what he wants to say unfiltered, but you also are going to get the bulk of Jesus' teaching in the parables. So that's why we're going to talk about this as a series. That's why the parable series and for this lesson, we're going to talk about the first parable is going to be the parable of the sower, the parable of the farmer sowing seed in a field. 
And the reason we're going to talk about this parable first is because this is actually a parable about parables. This story appears really close to the beginning of all three Gospels. It sort of sets the stage for Jesus' teaching. It's a very cryptic little parable at the beginning, but it's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and very few parables are in all three. It's also one of the very few parables that Jesus explains what he means. And so they begin this parable, and I'm going to group our parables together through this series by topic. Jesus taught stories about the kingdom of God. He taught stories about judgment. He taught stories about wise living. He taught stories about forgiveness and prayer. And we're going to put them together so you're going to hear a lot of Jesus' parables, and, but it's going to be put in a framework. Well, this first parable was Jesus' introduction and says, here's how I'm going to teach, and this is what it's going to be like. So let's dive into this and take a look at this first parable. I'm going to, uh, on your sheet, you'll see all, I've put down the scripture where you'll see this in all three of the Gospels, but I'm going to pick the one in Mark, no particular reason for that. Mark begins this way. He said, Jesus began to teach by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, which by our standards is just a big old lake. And there was a great crowd gathered around him, and it was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the water's edge, and he taught them many things in parables. By the way, this is a picture of Sea of Galilee. You get an idea of about what the boat would have looked like, but it's a brilliant idea. If you've been there, or even if you've just been to a lake, you realize you can't hear very well once you get 500 people or 1,000 people. But if you push off just a little bit from shore, the water bounces your voice off. Uh, uh, and you basically can address quite a few people, and they can see you pretty well. Jesus was very smart about this, so he pushed off a little bit from shore, and everybody could hear him. And he began to teach them, and he taught them many things by parables, by stories. And here's the first one of those. He said, listen. And in the original, this is emphatic. He said, listen to me. I want to tell you a story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And in those days, he would have had a bag on his shoulder and he would have walked in a rhythmic pattern and sowed seeds. Which, by the way, I do not recommend that because I sowed some fescue in my yard one year like that. It's really, really nice in certain little places, right? So I don't know how they do it, but they kind of had a routine. So he would sow the seed. He said some of the seed fell along the path. And everybody there, and as a matter of fact, it's really a testimony to the enduring power of these stories that 2,000 years ago, everybody could see this picture, and today you can still see this picture. This is not foreign to, we're probably very few of us farmers, nevertheless, you know what this is talking about. What other story would you still know what it's talking about in 2,000 years? Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate up the seed. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they really didn't have roots. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And then still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear this. 
This is an interesting little parable because on its surface, now many of you know, oh, I think I know what this means because he goes on to explain it. But if you stop here, you think, wow, what is he talking about? Because at the beginning, he says, listen, this is really important. And at the end, that he who has ears to hear, let him hear, basically says, everybody needs to understand. That's what that basically says is everybody needs to understand this. And then you look at it and you go, wow, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm, I can track with you. Yeah, some of the seed fell on the path and birds ate it. Some fell in the thin soil. I've seen that happen. It grows up every plant at my house. It grows up and then the sun comes down and it dies and just didn't have any roots. And then some, sure enough, the weeds get to it. When I was a kid, uh, my father was a farmer in Kentucky and we used to go through the field and we would hoe weeds by hand. We would cut them down so they didn't choke the plants out. And then finally, some grow up and you get this great grain, whatever you're growing, you get this hundredfold produce. So people understood it, but they're really not sure exactly why. And for us, the interesting thing about this parable is why, the first thing I would ask is, why is it so cryptic? Well, after he finished teaching the crowds, the story goes on and his disciples came to him said afterwards when he was alone, the 12, the 12 disciples that he had chosen to mentor and some of the others who followed around with him asked him about the parables, about the stories. And he said, the secret of the kingdom of God is given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables for this reason. And he quotes the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, if you remember, and, and everything Jesus quotes is very intentional. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. He lived in a time when God told him to go tell Israel, you have been unfaithful and you need to come back or you will be judged. Bad things will happen to you. In other words, being faithful to God is the only way that you have a secure future. And so Isaiah came to them and he said this. He said, these people are ever seeing but never really understanding. They're always listening, but they never really hear. Otherwise, if only they would understand, if only they would listen, they could turn and be forgiven. So what Isaiah is saying is, if only people would listen to what God's saying, that is their future. But they hear and they don't understand. And so Jesus is saying, just like Isaiah came to call a people back with a message that, that they weren't always listening to, I too have come to call people back. And I too have chosen a message that they're going to have to actually work at a little bit. See, I think one of the beauties of the parables are very few of them are immediately evident. You have to engage your brain a little bit. And I think that's just brilliant teaching on Jesus' part. He could have told a lecture and lectured for hours on end and never really engaged people as well as this story did. Because what are people saying at the end of this story? They're like, hey, that's a nice story about the farmer. I hope things turn out well for him, but... What does that have to do with God? And they begin thinking, and they begin wondering, they begin talking to each other. They don't have TV, they might as well talk about this. And so they begin talking about it, engaging their brain. And that's the step that Jesus wants. He wants them engaging their brain. Same is true for us. I think that's why the parables are an enduring way to teach. It makes us engage our brain. Well, we're going to engage our brain knowing what this parable means. So then he goes on and he says to the disciples and the ones with him, do you not understand this story? 
how then are you going to understand any? I mean, remember, this is the first big parable. He goes, boys, you haven't seen anything yet. If this one's hard, wait till you see the really extra credit problems, you know, that are coming, right? He said, the farmer sows the word, the good message that comes from God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in their heart. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, those people hear the word and they receive it with joy. But since they really don't have any roots, they don't last for very long. And as soon as trouble or difficulty or persecution comes because of this word, they fall away quickly. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for stuff comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. And then finally, others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So he begins to explain, and he begins to put people into this story. And I think it's important for us right up front to frame what this parable is about and what it's not about. Jesus tells us that the, the seed is the word. It's this message of God. For you and for me, it would be what's written in this New Testament. This is the word of God. This is the words of God, the teaching of Christ to us. This is the good news about what Jesus has done and how we are to respond. This is the word, and it gets sown. So who's sowing it? Well, obviously, Jesus, in this case, this parable is him sowing the word. For us, it's us living our lives and telling our story. We, we are sowers, in a sense, in this story. Well, what's the story about? Is it about the sower? How well he's sowing the seed? It's really not, is it? That's not the focus of this story. Is it about the seed? Some seed's good seed. Some seed is not very good seed. No, it's really not about the seed either. This story is about the soil. They're different kinds of soil, not different kinds of farmers, not different kinds of seeds, different kinds of soil. And the soil, in Matthew and Luke's account, they talk about the soil is the human heart. And that's what you see. The seed is sown into our heart. We hear the word, and it's sown into our heart. This story is about the receptivity of our hearts to the message of God the receptivity of our hearts to the message of God. That's what this parable is about. That's why he tells it first. He said, I'm going to tell you a lot of things, but the first thing you need to know is this. Some of the things I teach you could fall on rocky soil. And he goes through and he says, depending on the condition of your heart, this is what it's going to, this is what it's going to be like for you. And so Jesus is telling a parable about the parables. So I thought what we would do is we'll go through these four kinds of soil, and we'll look at those just a little bit, and then I'd like to give you a couple of overarching lessons that might be a little controversial, but we'll see. Before I jump into those explanations, do we, any questions? Got a question? All right. Yes. Um, what was Jesus' purpose in using the parables? Was it m to be merciful and gracious in that his listeners wouldn't be held 100% accountable only for the things that the Holy Spirit revealed to them? Yeah, I think a purpose, I, I would see it maybe a little bit differently. I think a couple of purposes. Number one, I believe in one sense, he wants people to, to react. I mean, if I tell you something, you say, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that. I'm not, off, I'm not really likely to act on it. If you tell me something that's like, what? I mean, wait, wait a minute. I need to... 
I need to think about this and understand it. You know, like if your wife tells you to do something like, what? Wait, oh, wait, what? You know, that's why wives speak in parables, just so the husband will go, what? Listen, engage your brain here, you know? I do think it was to get a reaction, to puzzle. I think he was intentionally a little bit cryptic to draw us in. We like a mystery, don't we? But secondly, I also think some of the things Jesus taught he didn't intend for people to fully understand. You're going to see this in several of the parables until he was raised from the dead. In other words, some of them are very obvious lessons, but you don't get the exclamation point on the end of Jesus' teaching until you see, oh, that's what he's talking about. That's why I love studying the parables from this point of view looking back. So I think partly it was to engage us, and I think partly it was you don't understand this entirely yet, but you just hold on. There's going to be a light bulb moment when you see the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's going to make a lot of sense. Well, let's talk about these four kinds of soil. The first one, some people are like seed uh, along the path, and the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and he takes away the word that was sown in them. This is, we're talking again about our hearts. This is a hard heart. This is the typical hardened heart. We see that in Scripture, we talk about that a lot, is this is a heart that simply isn't willing to accept what Jesus said. This is very common, very common. And what do we need to do with this kind of soil is you've got to let the word inside. This tends to happen two ways in my experience. One is we accept the word into our head, and so we know what Jesus said, but it never makes the, the journey from my head to my heart so that I know, I understand what Jesus is saying. Because I can know it in my head without ever doing it, without ever making a change. I can be the world's greatest biblical scholar. I can know everything there is to know about Jesus, and it make absolutely no difference because I'm not actually doing anything with it. And so that seed is sitting there, and it's snatched away because it never gets below the surface, so to speak. That's one of the ways. Second way is this. The Word of God is offensive. Boyce, uh, one a famous preacher, 20th century, said this. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he came preaching God's right to rule over the minds and hearts of people, and that is precisely what people did not want to hear. And there's a lot of truth in that. And that's kind of encouraging because as you go into the world and you share your faith, you're going to meet just some blatant rejection from people. And that's a hard heart. And I, I don't mean that in a critical way. I just call it what it is. That's basically a heart that won't receive it. And most of the time, it's because this message comes with this proviso. God says, I am God, and you are not, and I want to rule over your heart and your mind. And a lot of people say, no, I want to be God. And that's a hard heart. You can't get past that. Because in order to let this word in, we basically have to surrender. And that message of the cross, Paul calls it the foolishness of the cross, which is, guess what? Surrender to God and let him take charge of your life. The hard heart has a really difficult time with that. Second, others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and they receive it with joy. This is very interesting. Hold that thought. They receive it with joy, but since they don't have any root, they last only a short time. The sun, when you said the sun beats down and the plant dies, the sun is difficulties, trouble, persecution. When it costs something to believe this, when it costs something to live this out, then, he says, they quickly 
fall away. The lesson here is that we need to develop roots that will last. That initial excitement is not enough because there are going to come difficulties, and if there are no roots, we're not going to last. So we need to develop roots that last. That's one of the reasons, by the way, if you think about it, we don't read the Bible to become Bible scholars. Remember, we just talked a minute ago, you can know everything there is to know about the Bible, and it makes absolutely no difference. We read the Bible to let the roots go deeply. That's why the Bible has so many layers to it. You can read it all your life, and it just gets deeper and deeper, and the meaning becomes more and more vivid. That's developing roots that last. Probably one of the greatest dangers about this, in particularly in American Christianity, is what I call a therapeutic gospel. This is a perfect, let me explain what I mean by that, and you'll say, yep, that is a perfect example of this shallow heart. The therapeutic gospel is simply this. It's basically saying to you, here is the message of Jesus Christ. You have trouble and difficulty in your life. You have relational problems. You have heartbreak. You have difficulties in your life. You have uh, bankruptcies. You have budget issues. You have security problems. You have hurts. You have things that have been done to you in the past that still hurt, and you have the aches of that. You, we are broken, and that's true. We all have the scars and the bruises and the brokenness, if you will, of living in a fallen world with fallen people. The therapeutic gospel, that's true, but it says Jesus wants to heal all those problems. And so the message of Jesus gets caricatured, if you will. We basically say, oh, Jesus is the great healer. That's true. It says, well, that's what Jesus is about. He wants to fix your marriage. He wants to heal your hurts. He wants to cure your addictions. He wants to give you security and safety, etc. There is some truth in that. But again, like a caricature, it's pulling one thing out and, and getting very unbalanced. And so people respond, and they respond with joy, and they say, oh, thank goodness, I've bought 25 books from Barnes & Noble self-help section, and nothing has fixed my problem. Jesus can fix my problem, and he does. He kind of becomes the ultimate self-help in a way. Like, you have problems? Jesus is the answer. You should come to Christ so he can fix all your problems. It's a very therapeutic good news, a therapeutic gospel. Well, people receive that with joy. They say, oh, thank you, Lord. That's what I need. I need you to fix my problems. But then... When it costs something, it's like, now, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for more difficulty. I didn't sign up here for Jesus to actually demand things of me. I thought he was just going to fix me up, and then, you know, I'll head on out the door. I'll be back if I have other problems. That therapeutic gospel is a really good example of a, of a very shallow sowing of the word. It's something that tends not to last. We basically come to Jesus, this picture is people who come to Jesus as good news for what Jesus can do for us. Now, does Jesus love you and want to give you good gifts? Yes. Again, that's true. But if that's the only picture I see of Jesus, I don't have very deep roots at all. As soon as that little bargain isn't working out exactly right, I'm going to struggle with that, aren't I? As soon as trouble or persecution comes because of this word or because of Christ, we'll quickly fall away. When we say, what can Jesus do for me? And you know, sometimes we start that way. I understand that. 
But if we camp out there, we're going to have a difficult time dealing with the troubles of life. Third, others, like the seed sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for things come in and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. This is the strangled heart. This is a heart that's just entangled and just gets choked out. And for this, of course, we need to kind of weed the garden a little bit. In other words, we have an obligation to, to not let it get choked out. Let me give you a, a great example. This is in my backyard. I took this picture the other day. This is like do some weeding, all right? Just get the weed eater out there and let's, let's go after this. But this is kind of like the human heart sometimes, isn't it? I mean, it just grows. And the interesting thing about this is, this doesn't happen overnight. True story. In our yard, this is not my yard. But uh, in my yard, though, we have this vine, and I'm sure some of you out there know more about it than I do. Uh, the, the Latin name of this vine is called the devil's vine. I mean, that's not the Latin name. That's just what I call it, because I don't know what it is. But it's, it is of the devil. And here's why it's of the devil. is because when I first saw it, it, it grows pretty fast, but what it does is it gets inside everything. It's not like, you know, one of those pretty vines that go up the side of your house and you go, oh, isn't that pretty? This is like gets entwined inside everything. And I thought, this is not a problem at all. I know how to deal with this. I've, I have Roundup. And so I get out there and I pull the, I mean, that is my one tool, right? And so I pull this thing out. I get it all done. I you know, untangle it, sit it there in a pile, boom, hit it with the Roundup, take that. Come out, I kid you not, the next week I come out and the vine is laughing at me. Like, Haha, that's the best you've got? Roundup? I eat Roundup for breakfast. I'm not kidding you. It didn't kill it. And it just took off and it grew some more. So I had to find a secret concoction and you still have to get after this thing, literally, almost every week in the summer. This is the devil's vine. But here's the insidious thing about it, is it happens pretty slowly. And so I go out, and I say, oh, that's not bad at all. And then come out a couple weeks later, it's a little worse. You come out a few weeks later, and this is what you have, right? It, it's insidious. That's why I think it says the deceitfulness of wealth. It isn't saying that wealth is bad in and of itself. It isn't saying that, oh, my goodness, if you win the publisher's clearinghouse, you're probably going to go to hell. I mean, that's not what it's saying. But what it says, the deceitfulness is this, is it's kind of insidious. If you don't keep an eye on it, it will get you before you know it. It will entice you, if you will. Just like the weeds, if you don't stay on that, the next thing you know, this is what you have. You probably all heard the famous story about boiling a frog. Right? You put the frog in a pan of nice, warm, uh, room-temperature water, and the frog won't jump out of the water. feels pretty good. So you just turn on the heat and just slowly heat it up. And as you slowly heat it up, the frog becomes boiled. But at any given time, the frog just sort of gets used to it, right? By the way, I have to ask, what sick person first came up with that story? <laughs> I mean, how did that become a story? You know, but you see, you see my point. It is the idea of choking it out. Because you and I sit there and read it and go, oh, yeah, never let that happen to me. Are you kidding? Choke it out? Word becomes unproductive? Absolutely not, Lord. The insidious part of this is how slowly it happens. It's little by little and piece by piece until one day you wake up and you realize, I'm, I'm constricted. And 
all the things that I wanted to do, I'm not doing. And the fruit, Jesus said, never happens because it gets choked out. Question? I think the story about the frog is a parable. The story about the frog is a parable. That's exactly right. Okay. There are no frogs in Israel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was um, not present when Jesus was telling the parables. Was not present among the believers. But he is now. So what is the difference in the way we perceive them versus the way they would have perceived them? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Holy Spirit, think about what the Holy Spirit, Jesus, what Jesus told us the Holy Spirit's role was. He says uh, in Ephesians, I think I've quoted this to you before, Ephesians chapter 1, he said, when you believed you were given the promised Holy Spirit as a seal, as a deposit, guaranteeing that God will deliver on his promises of eternal life. So you have this Holy Spirit. Believers then did not have that. That came with Christ's resurrection and the Spirit flooding into the world and sealing the believers. Jesus also said that the Spirit was going to instruct you in a sense. He said it would comfort you. In other words, the very presence of God inside those who follow Jesus Christ. And one of the things it does is the Spirit makes us sensitive. It gives us ears to hear, if you will. Scripture also talks about the idea that there are those whose hearts are darkened, who are hardened, who will not let the truth in. Said, But the Spirit makes us receptive so we can discern spiritual truths. Paul talks a lot about those who have their minds set on the things of this world are, are literally deaf to the things of heaven that God wants to say. But those whose ears are open to what God wants to say understand it. The Spirit helps us understand the Word. It is a huge role uh, in our lives. The Spirit for believers is what allows the roots to grow deeply. It's not, it, I want you to just get past the idea of needing to be a Bible scholar. You need to be in the Bible, but it's not about what you know. It's about what the Spirit does with those roots. Just knowledge is not deep roots. What the Spirit does with what you learn and put into practice in your life is deep roots. That's a great question. Well, let's talk about the fourth one. Others, finally, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. This is an open heart. These are doers of the word. Here's a great example in uh, this image. James picks this up in the New Testament, the book of James. And he's writing to early believers. And in chapter 1, he says this, Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. That sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? You're always hearing, but you're never understanding. You never really let it sink in. He said, don't be like that. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He said, anyone, here's another little parable, anyone who listens to a word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So don't be hearers of the word only, be doers of the word, James said. That is exactly, that comes from this teaching, that the seed that's sown on good soil is a receptive heart and that heart produces a crop. The crop are the actions that we take, the life then that we live. And so he says, be a doer of the word. So acting on the word is the good soil. So those are the four kinds of soil that Jesus is talking about. He's making a prediction in some sense. He said, I'm going to teach you many things, and I have came here to tell you the, the, the truth about life. I came here to offer you hope of salvation, but this is the way it's going to go. 
depending on the receptivity of your heart, this is what it's going to look like. Does that make sense? That's what the parable of the sower is basically about. The question then becomes, what do we do with it? The question becomes, and our concern is about the receptivity of our heart. How receptive is our heart to the word of God? In reality, at different times in your life, this has been my experience. I'm not projecting this onto the scripture. I'm just going to share this experience and see if it resonates with you. I don't think you're saying to yourself, now obviously when you listen to this, very few of you say, oh yeah, that number two is me. I've got no roots at all. As soon as there's trouble, I'm out of here. You know, nobody identifies with that. A few of you will go, I'm a little concerned that I'm that soil that's getting choked out. I think maybe I'm letting other things in life become too important and it's choking me out. Maybe we'd say, maybe we'll be there. Most of us are like, oh yeah, plenty of fruit here. A lot of fruit here. Don't know so much about him, but plenty of fruit here, right? The reality of it is, is I don't think this is a fixed thing. It's not like your horoscope. Oh, born in December, sorry, this is who you are. Your future is determined. You know, I think a lot of times we, we move through this a little bit, don't we? Our hearts sometimes fall into different categories. I don't think it's fixed. It's immutable. It's like Jesus is saying, well, if you're number two, sorry, that's all you can ever be. I do think we experience it sometimes and we recognize, particularly when it talks about being choked out. I think we have a lot to do. This is my opinion. We have a lot to do with the receptivity of our heart. We have a whole lot to do with what we allow to into our lives that will choke out the productivity of the word. We have a lot to do with what we put in our head, what we listen to, the actions that we take, the priorities that we have. We have a lot to do with that. And so I think we have something to say about what kind of soil that we are. Well, here's a question. Well, let's see if you guys ask this for it. There's a question here that just begs to be asked, but maybe this is it. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a good question. Jesus stopped and explained this to the disciples, the 12, when they were alone. But hardly ever do we see that again. Is there a reason or do we think it happened and it's not recorded? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it seems there are very few parables that are explained. And the ones that are explained are explained to the disciples or a smaller group. He's very comfortable with the crowds. And the crowds keep following him, by the way. Crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. This is chapter 4 of Mark. As you move through it, you're going to see bigger and bigger crowds. So the fact that he's telling them these parables and they're not quite sure actually brings more people. Right? They say, this guy's got something to say here. We need to hear more, and so it brings more people. So the few times he explains it, he explains it to the disciples. There is no record of him explaining the rest, and so you have a couple of choices. One, he did and they didn't record it. I think that's, that's probably unlikely that he did a lot of that because if you think about their purpose in doing this, it's to tell you what happened. So I think it's unlikely, but it's difficult to prove. More likely, what I think is in some cases they're catching on, but he also doesn't want to make it too easy for them. You'll see him talking to them like, are you guys still struggling with this? Are you guys still doing this? And they're like, no, we're, we're going to get this. We're going to catch up. You know? And I think he did the same with them. So I think it's unlikely that he explained everything to the disciples. But that's an opinion. Seems unlikely. So what are you sitting here talking about this soil? And here's the question that needs to be asked. The, ask, the question is this. Of these soils, 
how many of these people are actually saved? Is that question on your mind? No? All right, well, never mind. We won't talk about that. That's fine. This parable is important, and Jesus, I think, presages his teaching with this parable for that reason, because the stakes are high. I mean, the stakes here with the soil is, oh, well, if you do too much seed that's not in good soil, that's going to be economically disastrous. Then he explains it, and they go, oh, well, if you're those other kinds of soil, you're in difficulty. I mean, you're not going to be in good relationship with God. And so the stakes are very high. And the interesting question is, what does this have to do then about our faith? And that's where I want to talk about two overarching ideas that you're going to see from this parable on forward. And the first one is this, that real faith endures. Real faith endures. This parable is explaining that pretty, pretty uh, straightforward way. But real faith endures. And here's the point I want to make to you. Of the four kinds of soil... Stop and think about this. Three of them receive the word joyfully. Three of the four categories actually accept the word. One doesn't, the hard heart. The others accept the word, but of those three, only one seems to get the seal of approval from Jesus. Interesting uh, quote here from a theologian, a modern theologian. He said, two of the three sowings that fail... In other words, three of the four toe, but two of the three that fail describe people who respond positively. And so here's what he believes Jesus is saying, and I think this is exactly right. Receiving the kingdom with joy is not enough. A message the modern church desperately needs to hear. Faith that is temporary and unproductive is not true faith. Again, James is going to pick up this exact teaching from this parable when he says, if you see your brother who is cold and hungry and you say, God bless you, brother. Uh, Hope things work out for you. And you don't share something. He said, really? What difference does that make? He said, some of you are going to say, I have faith, you have works. I'm going to sit here in my ivory tower and just have faith. You get out there and go put yours into practice. And, And James says, show me your faith without your works. And what he's saying is, can that kind of faith really save you? Can faith that doesn't act that doesn't put itself, in other words, that faith that is not producing fruit, he said, can that faith really save you? He's picking up on this parable. That's what Snodgrass is saying. He said, faith that is temporary and unproductive is not true faith. Churches should not be complicit in allowing, this is his opinion, to think an initial response unaccompanied by a productive living is saving faith. In other words, he's saying this parable is telling us that of these three cases, the seed that's sown in shallow soil but received gladly, the seed that's sown and gets choked out but received gladly, and then finally in the good soil. Those two cases don't endure. In other words, Jesus is telling us there's a real problem here. And so the point of this is that faith endures. This is going to be a theme that you're going to see, and it's going to challenge our theology just a little bit. I'm not trying to necessarily make a theological statement about this, but simply to make a biblical statement that Jesus expects the message to play itself out in our lives and that if we're going to have fruit, it's going to have to come from living it out in our lives. And here, you're going to see this a lot in Jesus' teaching. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. The idea of perseverance. Jesus said salvation isn't like getting a Sam's card. 
you know, you walk in, take your picture, fill it out, get the card, put it in your wallet. You don't have to go back to Sam's for the rest of your life. In fact, it may be a good idea because you spend a ton of money when you go in that place. The deals are overwhelming. But my point is, you said, that's not what this is like. This has got to make a difference. In other words, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. In other words, there's a perseverance in this. You also uh, will see the idea of this faith has to produce some fruit. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's that famous passage where, remember, he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you stay connected to me, in other words, if you endure, if you put this word into practice, if you are connected to me, you're going to bear fruit. He says, but those that aren't connected to me, he said, they wither and they die. And what do we do with those branches? He said, we gather them up and we use them for firewood. And so you see that exact same image about this, but faith is an enduring idea. Receiving it is, the, is important, obviously, but it's the acting on it. It's doing something with it. The Christian faith is not a transactional faith. It's not like pray a prayer, walk an aisle, I'm good now, I'll see you when I die. It has to make a difference in our lives. You'll see that all through Jesus' teaching. Second, faith endures. The second is this, this message divides. It's challenging. It's divisive. I think that's part of why the parables challenge us. The word of God is proclaimed and causes a division among those who hear. God's people receive the word, understand it, and obediently fulfill it. Others fail to listen because of a hardened heart or superficiality or vested interest in riches and possessions. But I want you to stop and think about it. If you think about the therapeutic gospel, because some of you are sitting there, honestly, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Why would anyone not be a Christian? Well, if you think about it, if the message of the cross is this, all of you who have troubles come to Jesus, he will fix them. That's a product that should sell, right? That's a therapeutic gospel. That's a product that doesn't have much in the way of roots. It's not sustainable. The fact is, the message of Jesus Christ is free. Your salvation is free, and all you have to do is surrender all that you have. In other words, we surrender, and therein lies the rub. It's like, no, why don't you let me be in control of my life, and I'll tell you when you can help me. I mean, really, if you could sell that deal, you can sell that all day long. But the reality is the Word of God causes divisions. Jesus said this, I came to bring a sword and what he meant was, I came to divide. I came to set father against son and brother against brother. He didn't mean I came to cause family disharmony. What he meant was, he's saying this in a way that really gets your attention. He said, this message is going to hit you right in the face, and it's going to separate you. Some of you are going to accept. That's what the sower is all about. He said, let me tell you how it's going to shake out. So you're going to have some hard hearts. You're going to have some shallow hearts. You're going to have some people that, that are really just strangled hearts, and then you're going to have some that really let this in and, and have roots. Jesus says this message is going to, to divide, and here's his point. He said, I want you to enter through the narrow gate. This is another story that just very consistently ties into this. He said, enter in the narrow gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people enter through that. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What's Jesus saying there? He's not saying, in my view, I've only picked a handful of you to go to heaven. 
What he's saying is predictive, not prescriptive in my view. He's saying, just like he is in the sower, I'm going to tell you, he said, what's going to happen because I see your hearts and you're going to struggle with this. The receptivity of your heart is not the same. Here, as he said, is not, not many, relatively speaking, are going to be willing to take this free gift and lay down your life at the cross. That's why I think Jesus tells this parable up front is Jesus isn't here to make people happy. He isn't here to say, look, you know, you follow me and life will be rosy. He's here to say, this is life and death. He said, and I'm going to tell you this parable to start with. So when I start to tell you this, I want you to realize you're going to be tempted to go, oh, no way. You can't have control of my life. You'll be tempted to have a hard heart. Or some of you will be tempted to say, sure, I'll take it. But you're really not committed to this. And you're not going to let the roots grow. Some of you are going to take it and say, I really want to do this, but you're just not willing to let go of the riches and the busyness and the things of life. And he said, and it's going to choke you. It's going to choke it out. Jesus is warning us. He's saying, this is what's going to happen to you. And he's basically encouraging us to say, let the word take root in your heart. Let me be in charge of your life, and you will not believe the fruit that you will get. You're going to see this over and over in Jesus' teaching is he's really trying to lay it out up front. And there's, he says, the stakes are high. What is your heart like? How receptive will your heart be to this word? I'm going to suggest that we have a part to play in that, is that now that we know that, we realize, you know what? I need to tend the garden of my heart a little bit. I need to make sure that this seed really takes, takes root. Make sense? Question? So how do you test your own soil, short of taking it to the <clears throat> extension center? Well, you just sort of do a pH thing, you know, here. No, I'm just kidding. How do you test your own soil? And that's a great question. The question on how do I know how I'm responding. In, I mean, honestly, if we stop and think about it, it's not that difficult to know where we are. For on the one hand, I want you to realize the stakes are high. Jesus says not everybody's going to heaven. On the other hand, the scripture says... First John says this, I write these things to you so that you will be comfortable, that you will know that you are saved. I think when we look at our lives, and we, you, you can just stop and think about this. If you were a third-party observer, and somebody said to someone that was watching you, but didn't really know you very well, but they kind of watched what you did, and they said to them, so, oh, Bob there, uh, do you know he's a Christian? Would their answer be, oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Or would they go, Bob, really? He's a Christian? In other words, this whole idea about fruit and acts, we're not saved by what we do, but James says, show me your faith by how you live your life. The scripture several times is going to say, live a life worthy of your calling. What does that mean? I've got to measure up? You don't have to measure up. The grace of God covers your sins. He just said, go walk in a way that's consistent with what you say you believe. And so I think if we just really don't overcomplicate this and say, basically, is my life characterized that, that I'm acting out based on what I believe? I'll tell you a couple little simple tests about this are, am I regularly in the Word? That's, that's how you deepen your roots. Do I read my Bible? Do I let the Holy Spirit deepen the roots? That's a good thing. Oh, Terry, if I don't do that every day, am I going to hell? No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm saying, though, but if I believe that this is the good news, that this is the key to life, I'd probably read a little bit every day. 
I'd let the Spirit bring it. If I know that my roots need to be deep in God, I'd say then deep in the roots, right? Being in the Word, being in community. God made us to do this together. We encourage one another. We correct one another. We help one another up. I've always said for a long time, look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. And every year I look back, now electronically, it used to be paper, but now I just pull it up electronically and I ask myself this question, just step back. How did I use my money and how did I use my time? That's a good indicator to me of what's really important to me. And I'll tell you this year, uh, just be transparent with you, as I set goals for this year, one of the goals in my life, one of the two personal development goals, spiritual goals, is to absolutely eliminate the busyness in my life. I don't mean the fact that you've got a lot to do. You want to be a productive person. But the idea of being so busy that little priorities crowd out big priorities. When I looked at my calendar, I realized you did a lot of stuff, but you left some of the most important things undone. That's tending your garden. It's like, I'm going to change that going to move forward. I think there are a lot of simple ways like that that we can look. I'm not telling you those things tell you if you're saved or not. I'm saying those things are indicators. How's my garden doing? Do I see weeds growing up? Do I see habits that I should let go of? Are there habits that I should start? That's why I'm a big fan of having goals in your life. And I don't mean goals as in you're going to achieve salvation. It's just we should always be tending our garden if you want to think about it that way. There are always little you know, devil's vines that would love to get a start in my garden. Sometimes I need to go, you know what, I think that's starting to sprout. We're going we're gonna to hit that thing with some Roundup. Or, you know what, I think my soul would be better if I were a little more faithful in this, if I were a little more faithful in giving, a little more faithful in reading. So you, it's really just not rocket science. I don't want you to overcomplicate it. Just take a look at our lives and, and see. You'll know the spirit inside you wants to make you look like Jesus Christ. I know I've said this in a sermon recently, but don't forget, God is able, if you will surrender, to do what he intends in you. Our problems don't come from cooperating with the Spirit. Our problems come from trying to jerk the wheel and saying, I think I'll do this my way for a while. And so we need that constant tending to say, am I surrendering this part of my life? Am I faithful in that part of my life? That's why we have each other. That's one of the things we can lovingly do for each other is hold each other accountable, encourage each other. It's like working out. Go to the Y first week of January. I see people there I've never seen before. And I will never see again. You know, because by the third week of January, they're gone. Right? That doesn't happen in our spiritual life because we go to the gym together, if you will. We come together. We encourage one another. And it's a lot easier when you're doing it together. God was so smart to make the church because he knew that we'd need help on this journey. So tend the soil of our hearts. I think we have a lot to say about how receptive our hearts are. So, that's what this series is about. That's why I wanted to start with this parable, because what we're going to do in this series is we're going to come in, and every week we are going to open up the Word of God, we're going to let Jesus speak into our hearts, and then we're going to take it and we're going to go. We're going to put it into practice in our lives. We're going to let... God dig roots in. That's what we're here to do. So next week, I have to tell you this. We are going to do what, in my opinion, this is a foundational parable because it tells you, Jesus says, I'm about to embark on telling you a bunch of parables, but I'm first going to tell you what this is all about. And I want you to know, get your heart ready because the receptivity of your heart is going to have everything to do with this. The next set of parables, the very next set of parables he tells 
are the key to understanding all of his teaching. If we don't understand this next set of parables, we are going to really misunderstand all of Jesus' moral teachings. And those are the kingdom parables. The kingdom parables are the very next thing out of Jesus' mouth, and they're foundational. If we don't understand that, I think we're going to get everything else wrong. Boy, I hope you don't miss next week, or it's going to be worth it. Seriously, this week, pray. Get in the Word. Tend your garden. And if you happen to have the devil's weed, let me know, because I know how to kill that thing now. I'll see you guys next week.